Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Welcome, everyone, to another weekly debrief. Each week, Bryant and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see. And our debrief will provide not only our opinion of the film, but will also discuss its significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film. So, Bryant, what was our mission this week? Our mission this week is taking our podcast to a, a certain place, a certain, certain little shiny spot. We're going to be talking about a place in the sun. And the reason for this is because we actually had the honor of doing an interview, which we'll be releasing soon, with George Stevens Jr., the son of the director of this film, and a director who is very much acclaimed, and his son, uh, the one that we spoke to, George Stevens Jr., is also very acclaimed. So we chose this movie to finally talk about George Stevens, because this won't be the only time either. This will be the, our first film. And this is a film that I have seen and you have not, correct, Caitlin? Yeah, so you actually recommended this film to me, but I think, it, I don't remember if it was before or after you watched it, but I've had it on my list to watch for a while. I just haven't gotten around to do it. It's not my first George Stevens film. I've watched uh, a couple others before that, including Penny Serenade, uh, Woman of the Year, and I most recently watched The More of a Merrier. So it, uh, and I've seen parts of Shane as well. But this is the first one, obviously, we're talking about here. Was it this or Giant that I recommended to you? No, you recommended A Place in the Sun. That's, was there like, did you ask me, was there like certain criteria, like you were looking for a certain film? Uh, I was looking for, I think, an older film uh, around the 50s or so time range. And you said, uh, I think you said you hadn't watched it yet at that point. And so you said, oh, this one might be good. I've heard good things. So you might want to try this one. Okay. You recommended that one and also uh, Days of Wine and Roses at the same time. That's right. And I still need to watch it. Uh, Days of Wine. God dang it. I still need to watch uh, Wine and Roses. I need to put that on my on my watch list. Because I've been meaning to watch that one for years. And even you, yeah, you watched it, uh, you know, once I, once I had recommended it to you. Which if I ever, I remember now recommending it to you that time. So yeah, it would have had to been uh, after I watched A Place in the Sun, which is... Okay. Not saying I don't like this film. It's just I don't. I guess I don't have that many movies to pick from the 1950s, and I do think this is actually worthy of recommendation. Not again. Not saying I don't like this film, uh, but yeah. No. Okay. I I believe it. I believe it. This is one time you're speaking the truth. <laughs> okay. And I I've uh, I've seen one other George Stevens film. I've seen the A Giant, like I said, or Giant, and. I don't think, actually, yeah, no, I wouldn't have recommended that one to you because I don't think I've ever recommended a movie over three hours for you. So I, I know you'll just tell yeah, me Yeah, I no. know that one's a long one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not even going to bother. And then, did he did he direct a, a Diary of Anne Frank? Yeah, yes, he did. Okay, I may have seen that one in school. I remember seeing a Diary of Anne Frank in school. So it may have been that one. I don't know how many adaptions are okay. out there. Uh, but you haven't seen Shane, right? Because I feel like Giant and Shane are the other two that we would have to do an episode on at some point. Yes, I have not seen Shane. And honestly, the and we'll talk about it some more, of course. But the, the main reason I watched these two movies, I didn't know they were actually directed by George Stevens till later. Uh, I watched them because they both have Elizabeth Taylor in there. 
And I was told that these were two great movies with Elizabeth Taylor. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> gotcha. The real reason comes out. And do know that as we go on, this is going to be spoiler free for the first portion of the show. And then afterwards, uh, when I go ahead and give you guys the warning, we'll have spoilers uh, within our discussion. So stick around till that point if you have not seen the movie. So as far as this movie, it has quite a bit of acclaim to it and quite a bit of awards. This has a 7.7 on IMDb, an 82% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with an 84% audience rating. This has a couple Oscars. Six Oscar wins for Best Director, Best Writing, Cinematography, Costume Design, Editing, which has something to say about, and Score. Uh, for nomination, it also had Best Picture, Best Leading Actor, and Best Leading Actress. Caitlin, what did you find? So this was a box office success, earning $3.5 million domestically and was very critically acclaimed. Charlie Chaplin himself said it was the greatest movie ever made about America. Now, you mentioned the Academy Award wins, but it was also the first ever Golden Globe winner for Best Motion Picture in the Drama category. So previously, it had been unified to one award, but as we know now with the Golden Globes, it is split into drama and then comedy or musical. So it was the first one to be in that specific category and win that. George Stevens also won a DGA Award, the Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Director Achievement. And it also won Best Written American Drama from the WGA, the Writers Guild of America Awards. In 1991, it was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, which is significant, but we're going to talk about that in our interview with George Stevens Jr. This movie is based on a novel called An American Tragedy, uh, which has been adapted several times. This is the, the most well-known adaption film-wise. And it centers on a plot of an, uh, a nephew who comes to town to get a job from his wealthy uncle. And during his time while working for him, he falls in love with not just one, but two women. And as we know, in most of time, that's that's an issue. You know, there's some complications there. Doesn't you know, you can't always convince them. You know, you know what I'm saying, Caitlin? You know what I'm saying? Uh, do I? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So now he has to go through the struggle of picking between one of these two girls while more comes in to thicken the plot. Also, with this plot, Caitlin wants me to mention that a one of the women that he has to choose between is pregnant. And you would think, well, obviously, you got to go with that one. Not for this guy. He He's still like, ah, I don't know. That's that's a good argument you have over here. But this other one's really pretty. So he's... <laughs> Those are your personal feelings? Yeah. How did you feel about the movie? So this is a film that I think is definitely significant for the time it was created. And obviously we'll go into that more in our later sections. But for me, I do feel that coming from a more modern lens, the story doesn't hold up quite as much as it would then. And this film is essentially kind of like a like a Gatsby American dream story. and. American dream stories are very are always going to be addictive indicative of its time so I I found appreciation for it in a way because I understand uh, 
the kind of class divides that the film goes into. And I think that there are things in the film that I liked as well as far as performances go and production design. I really liked the production design of this and I think there is great care to the production design. And I think that the way George Stevens, uh, going back to the acting for a second, I think the way George Stevens directs his actors uh, produces really good results. But this film, it, it, it did drag a little bit for me. And like I said, there are parts of it that I feel like don't really work in modern times, just as far as how the plot develops. I'll say that. I, I think I have a, a similar opinion to you. Uh, when uh, George Stevens Jr., when he asked me how I felt about this this film during our interview, This Thing Giant, for this film, I said that I, I liked the film. I just, there weren't really any high moments that were very memorable, that made this film memorable to me. And watching it again, and one of the things I think is that, yeah, the story is kind of, it, it's it's more for its time. And also I feel like it just... I don't know. I think there have been movies that have done it better, especially with the American dream and the toxicity of it. And also for this film, there was like the when we go more uh, in depth with the conversation, there's something with the story that kind of bothers me a little bit. But doing research on this film and watching the the film again, I, I do find more things to appreciate, uh, such as the, the directing with this. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, we did an interview with George Stevens Jr., you know, applauding his father's directing it really you know we'll talk more in depth i got some evidence for that but yeah when i when i finished this film i'm like all right you know i for the most part i enjoyed it i think the last third of it uh when we get into i guess the the courtroom drama of it becomes more enthralling for me but for the most part i'm like all right you know don't hate it don't love it just kind of middle middle ground with it I think the interesting thing about this film is that there really are so many genres in this film. Like you said, there's a courtroom drama, there's a romance story, there's um, the rags of riches story. So there's so much going on here uh, in different genre wise. And I, and I give credit to the film for being able to tackle all that. But certain parts of the film, I would say, didn't work for me as much as others. I'll give you that. I don't agree with you that there weren't any memorable moments because I think there were. I think my issue with this is kind of the reason why I've I've struggled a little bit with some older American films in particular. I, I think I found a new appreciation for certain ones and certain um, performers, especially from this era of Hollywood. But I think that there's such a stagey kind of feel to it. And we didn't really get away from that stagey feel until like the French New Wave, where they were, you know, going on locations and they were using all this quick, low budget filmmaking just anywhere they wanted to go. So for me, it just it just felt a little stagey. And I, I like I said, I did really like the production design of this film. So it, was, it did look really good. And there was attention to detail about the things that were placed in those scenes. But it, it felt like set pieces. That we were moving, especially like in the story, like we were moving to different set pieces. Yeah, I I definitely see that, saw that. And yeah, it does kind of take away from from the film. It feels kind of constricted. And I think it just like I think you can have that, you know, that stage feel and it work with certain movies, maybe like straight romances or film noirs. But Mm -hmm. for this, I, I yeah that that restriction was was i think was a bit limiting 
And I think the time too, honestly, this should have been another one of uh, George Stevens epics. I think another hour, because I think there is a lot to, yeah. yeah, there's a lot to explore with this. And for, for its themes or for its main theme about the American dream, I think we, we miss some, some parts, some things made it to the, didn't make it past the cutting room floor. So we kind of miss those uh, supporting arguments for when it comes time, because it's really it plays out just more like a a romance triangle than really looking into that to that American dream. But the movie that I really think that does this uh, does this better actually is a film I think around the same time, uh, which is The Apartment. I think The Apartment uh, I found to be really similar to this, but I think it did much better with its with its themes. But also the apartment is very contained to the apartment. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the apartment and uh, the workspace. So I don't know. That one didn't feel so stagey. But yeah, thinking about it, yeah, you were kind of just going back and forth. So I would have to think about that more of why the apartment didn't have that feel while this movie did. Mm-hmm. Like I guess I feel like, did they come out around the same time? I didn't think they did. Uh, no, I think the apartment was 1960. Yeah, I think that was much later. Actually, I know one thing that would that made the apartment feel less stagey, and that is depth. There was there was depth in their in their sets, like even their their office, like how the desk like kept going back, and it made it seem like a like a very large office. But in his apartment, like he's bouncing between rooms from front to back, and here it's uh like you said with a stage, it's a lot of left to right. While I think the apartment is more more third dimensional. Um, I, I disagree with that because I think that George Stevens did a lot with depth in this film. Yeah, I think he did a lot with depth in this film that I saw. Um, but I think that, well, first of all, The Apartment came out uh, 10 years later. Nine years. Um, 1961, I think. 1960. You're, you're right. I mean, 10 years. It's the same. <laughs> okay, whatever. A decade later, almost a decade later. But I, I think that also, like I said, The Apartment is a more contained story. Whereas this has that feeling of an epic, but you don't really get that in in what they're able to do. But I understand the limitations that were there, especially coming out of, like, just coming out of World War II. I understand the limitations, but I think while The Apartment was a contained story, you could have made this a contained story, but they like try to do more, but they didn't have the time to do more. So it should have been brought mm-hmm. back. And I think that would have helped if it was if it was contained more. Yeah. Now, the now that's not to say again, that's not to say I didn't like this movie and there aren't things that I actually really appreciated. Uh, some of it gonna have to say for spoilers but i'll say like when it comes to somebody's anxiety towards the end and their distress after a certain situation and the way the camera is used to just make the make it just feel like it's smothering the character and you get kind of this claustrophobic feel of them that i think intensifies the the paranoia that they must be feeling and i, I mean i could kind of sympathize with with the character on that and then also, I, I didn't notice until I read about it, but the way they play with lighting in this film, how with when he's with one character, it's all very dark and, and shadowy and hidden, while with another character, it's very, um, it's very lit up. The scenes are more glamorous. And I thought that was, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I wish I had noticed that, but that was interesting. Yeah, that is a very good um, observation, but also there is part of that darkness that there is a significance to it, but I'll go into a little bit later. 
But as far as the romances go, you, you mentioned some things felt a little bit rushed in this film. I think his romance with Elizabeth Taylor's character did feel rushed. Um, I feel that their love blossoms very quickly. But at the same time, I think that the chemistry that they had was was uh, was very, very good. And there's a scene where they are confessing their love to each other. And it was breathtaking. You could feel the chemistry between them. And part of it also is just the way it's shot, um, the way that George Stevens shot certain things over the shoulder and close-ups. It was very um, significant for its time, and I think it really added to that passion. If there's one thing that I, George Stevens is really good at, it is really creating passion between characters and creating chemistry between his actors. Yeah, I was reading how he how he directs and how he do, he doesn't do rehearsals. He explains the scene to the to the actors, and then he puts them out there. And then he'll go afterwards and do the rehearsal. So that way he doesn't have them going in like overanalyzing the situation so they can kind of like, okay, this is how I would naturally react to it. Now let's go into rehearsal and perform that with what I know, kind of mixing it together. And he also, what I found interesting, he would have everybody come back. I think they called it rush nights and they would look at the difference between prints and he would explain to them why this is better than this one. I thought that that was cool. So like he was he was an educator as well on set. And I think that that shows and I think he does get a lot out of his actors who, you know, Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Clifton, you know, they, they became they became great friends. So you definitely you see that on screen as well. And I think Elizabeth Taylor, she just had like this very, um, I don't know, like a very genuine nonchalant attitude, like a, a, a genuine, lively attitude. So Clift, I think, does a great job because he has to kind of go through a character change. And I think that's shown really well, again, with the, with the camera work and also just uh, him as as an actor. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, like I said, I mentioned that there's a couple of different genres here. And I think that his acting does adapt to the genre that he's doing. So I think like ten, technically and performance wise, I like this movie. And that's the I think the strongest portion of it. It's just that the story kind of falls apart for me. And that's kind of what brings it brings it down and keeps it for at least for me, like getting up to those those peak moments, those like really high points that I can, you know, look at look back at this movie and be like, yeah, you know, I, I understand why everybody was loving it like they did back in in this time, which during during the time that it came out, I can see why people really like this. I think that the pacing and the story mostly falters for me towards the end of the film. Which it kind of sounds like you were opposite. No, no, no. It's that that is where like I really noticed it was like, okay, now that we're at this point, not that it felt jarring. It's just like, man, where we're at now, I don't feel like I got enough in the first two acts in the first half to really to really carry into this next portion. Like, I feel like I'm missing character motivations. I feel like I'm gotcha. I'm missing, you know, uh the not relationships, but there's motivation for what motivation for goals and then motivations to continue being with somebody I didn't fully have with me taking into into the, the third act. But I liked it though. But I I liked it as in once I disconnected it, I guess. Standalone, I liked it. I was like, man, this is a great scene and everything. This is or great scenes, but I just don't think it fits with the rest of the film. But as a standalone, you know, it's nice. You mentioned you didn't understand the motivation of someone to still be together. Are you talking about Alice and and um, George? Yeah, yeah. Like I understood it. I just 
feel like I need a little bit more motivation for him going that way. Oh, you're talking about? Yeah, well, not no, not just motivation because she's also a symbol for this, uh, for this, for this greater life, for this high society, you know, for the upper class. And I feel like I didn't have enough motivation. I didn't see enough motivation and a desire from him to to go that route. I, okay, so I think you're talking spoiler. I was talking more like. You may have said you didn't see the motivation for him to still be with her. So that was something for me that I think that I come through it with a modern lens. So it makes it more difficult for me to feel that. Uh, Alice is kind of naggy. Um, you can tell in the second half of the film, they don't really like each other. But they still are, you know, have this obligation to be together. And, you know, in modern day, I don't think that you would have that obligation quite so much. Um, but because of that time period, I, I understood where they were coming from and why they were still together and, and trying to um, figure that out. But definitely from a modern lens, it was a little bit hard to take because Alice, like I said, she was she was kind of frustrating me a little bit because, I mean, I get it. She doesn't want to raise a child on her own. What's she going to do? She uh, doesn't really have much prospects here. And it would be a life-changing event. But I feel like we have more options available to us to a degree in modern time, but I didn't fully feel like I connected to the way that she handled things. Yeah. For me, I guess I had like a switch in my, in my head that was like old fashioned and then modern lens. Cause old fashioned me was thinking like, you better stick with that girl. But yeah, if I was to look from a, from a modern lens, I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. Like you said, you, you have options and I'm not just talking about, uh, we're not talking about like abortion, but just kind of, you know, just co-parenting, other things like that. You can continue to support, but like during these times, like being unmarried without a child, and you're got the the glass ceiling, everything going on against you with this, because I mean, you pretty much have no no kind of support system. Uh, mm-hmm. so to me, looking at this, I was like, yeah, like. Like, man, you know what? You you were told not to do this. This was the one thing you yeah. were told not to do. And not only did you did it, do it, but you messed up first try. So to me, it was also like, you know what? You just don't, you, you don't deserve options. <laughs> that, I think <laughs> that's also like how I was feeling with him is, just, man, you, this, uh, you know, you read with you, what you sow and just yeah. at every, at every turn, like, Cause he didn't even hesitate. It's not even like, oh man, should I do this? Should I not do it? Nah, he was before he even knew the girl. Just a walk home. He's like, yeah. He's like, you gonna let me in? You gonna let me in? Yeah, I I think that was also a problem in his mind too. Is that he just wasn't likable? <laughs> like, it's not that I need him to be likable, but like, he just made dumb decisions. <laughs> he makes bad decisions, <laughs> and he's, you know, pulling people into his quicksand of bad decisions. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I see where you're going from. And now the thing about that more like there is a difference uh, in times. But I don't know. I think even on modern lens, I'd be like, you know what? No, you still don't deserve options. I know we got more options. You don't deserve any of them either. <laughs> I meant well, I meant more for her. Oh, for her. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no, I agree. Like she and also I kind of confused it for a second with Alice and Angela. Both both A's. Alice is the one that was his original girlfriend or his girlfriend. But uh no like alice did have some issues before before the pregnancy but without like that kind of building there i felt like the only kind of the only kind of hiccup and motivation we had was the pregnancy 
And there were other things that I feel like the theme of the movie was trying to tell us, but it just, it didn't have that, that story writing. And I don't, I don't think it had that time to really explore in there. So it just kind of turned into a, you know, what, what are we going to do about this baby? Yeah. She was very needy even before she got pregnant. Yeah. There were the- but like I said, is that because of a time, because of a position? That's where I'm just like, I can't really judge based on a modern lens. No, it's like you said in the beginning, somebody showed interest into him and it, like mm-hmm. he he didn't yeah. wait. He didn't spend any time with her. He could have learned those things about her. Yeah. So it's not like any of this, like, like you said, it didn't come out of nowhere. She was like this before the pregnancy. Yep. Now, wait, actually, you said you had some memorable moments in here. Is there any that you can talk about that doesn't involve spoilers? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I already mentioned the one that was particularly memorable for me was just the love confession scene between Elizabeth Taylor and um, Montgomery Cliff's characters. And I just felt that their chemistry just led for some memorable moments. And also the there's an intimacy scene as well, but I'll talk a little bit more about insignificance. But I I think that just the way that was done was memorable. I think I would have enjoyed that confession of love scene more if at this point, like I wasn't done with uh, Cliff's character. Because when he said mm-hmm. that, I just two things went through my head. I was like, one, I was like, really? Once again, you're just rushing into situations. Two, really, guys, I love you already. Yeah, and I think there's also a scene with him and her at the beach that was also memorable to me. Like I said, they just had really good chemistry, and so the scenes that they were together, you really felt that. Yes, that scene, the the pool when they're playing pool. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, all really, all really good scenes. Uh, oh, another thing I saw during this time while watching it, there's images in the back that are really well placed, and I don't know if that's from the director or the art director. But yeah, there there's one that's like there's a neon sign. What's that? Oh, you're talking about the Vickers sign. Yeah, there's the Vickers sign from his apartment just looming overhead. And then there's the uh, when he calls his mother in the back, it says, uh, when was the last time you wrote to your mother? Oh, okay. Yeah. So Uh, I know there's also a painting of Ophelia from Shakespeare. That's a really uh, big painting. Um but I won't go too much into. Wow, way to find the one with super siblingism. I'm over here finding like the. <laughs> oh no, I didn't. I didn't see it when I was oh, watching. Okay. I just found it later in research. <laughs> That's why I said earlier that like, yes, it does feel stagey, but I think that the effort that went into the production design was just really good. So this was an influential movie. Uh, Caitlin, you want to go ahead and start us off with some of that influence? Influence. Yeah. Uh, so. I couldn't find any direct influences like film and television wise, but obviously something we didn't really touch upon is that this is a story of a low caste nephew who comes to get help from his high class uncle. And the two things that came to mind from that was the Fresh Prince and Succession, because I think there's also a nephew or a cousin or something that comes in that story as well. But I haven't watched all of Succession. I've just seen the first episode. But I definitely think that that's a very... uh Common story now, but I'm curious if this is what originated it. Yeah, I, I I wonder that too now. Another thing that was really influential was the fashion in this film. So the Edith Head was the costume designer uh, that was responsible for Angela Vickers costumes. Angela Vickers being played by Elizabeth Taylor. And 
there's one dress in particular. It's a white party dress with a lot of like layers and flowers that she wears. And it became a very popular style for prom dresses in that year and then even in that decade. And I think for wedding dresses as well. It just was a very um, wonderful style dress. And it is a very pretty dress. Uh, it's one of the more influential dresses in cinematic history. Yeah, which makes, I believe, three that we've we've talked about on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the first one that's not green. That's yeah, that's true. And even Cliff's styling, I think, was very significant as well because he just kind of wears this like leather jacket, white t-shirt, that kind of classic style. But this predates Rebel Without a Cause. This predates when James Dean was wearing this style. I was just about to pull it up on my phone. I was like, wait, when was Rebel Without a Cause uh, made? Because I was like. Like, I haven't even seen Rebel Without a Cause. And you talk about leather jacket over a white tee, work, like, uh, doing manual labor. I think James Dean. Yeah. But no, this predates it. I do. I'm curious of his jacket because he's wearing a police, a policeman jacket. I'm not sure if there's some symbolism there or like it's saying that he's poor because it's, you know, something that's probably passed down or like he got oh, it at thrift store. Yeah. You can see, like, actually, I, I read a fun fact on it too. A lot of people thought it was a, a, um, World War II or like a, a military jacket, but I noticed the the way the like the holes are on his left. That's where you would put a badge because it's still like that today with a lot of things. So yeah, I don't know if that that, that could have been like a poor thing, you know, because that jacket could have went out of commission, and you know who else is going to grab it because it's got these two big holes in it. But he pulled it off. Yeah, he, he looked good. Yeah, he he had that look of like where rich parents. They tell their kids, like, hey, don't you get messed up with that boy. Yep, that was exactly it. And you know what they did? They got mixed up with that boy. <laughs> now look at them. Yep. Anything else? Uh, No, that was all I had for influence. Oh, really? You're not going to take the obvious one? The Oh, well, oh, the obvious <laughs> one. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and take the obvious one. Okay, as long as you like, you know what the obvious one. Okay, I saw it. <laughs> I'm not just giving it to her. I did have that written down, actually, and then I don't know why I just slipped my mind. But you can, you can take this one. Thank you. And I watched it, like, click in your head just now, too. That was interesting. Uh, this also influenced the title of George Stevens Jr.'s memoir, uh, which we interviewed him and talked about his memoir as well. Uh, his memoir is titled My Place in the Sun. And that's actually why we chose to do this movie. We were deba- debating between this and Giant. And we we're like, well, his book is titled My Place in the Sun. So let's talk about A Place in the Sun. Yeah, and I think you could argue, too, that this film and George Stevens' works in general influenced his own son and all the things that George Stevens Jr. went on to do as well, which you'll have to listen to our episode, our interview, in order to learn more about that. But it is very significant. Because I believe this is one of the first movies, uh, I'll talk about the significance, well, I guess I'll talk about it right now, uh, that this is one of the, one of two, this is the second movie that George Stevens made after he got back from war. And I know that's when George Stevens Jr. said that's when he started working with him. So I wonder if this is one of the, I believe this is one of the sets that he was he was on. Yeah, and this also shifted George Stevens' move to drama films because he mostly did comedies before. Yes. Uh, this also influenced Mike Nichols, who is a famous director, and this influenced his movie The Graduate. Uh, this is a movie he said he's seen like 50 times. Uh, and he loves this film. Uh, and The Graduate is actually a movie that we'll be talking about later this year. So let's talk about its significance as well. Uh, like you said, Charles Chaplin believes this to be the greatest movie about America. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of other people 
do as well. Um, I guess, you know, I may be in the minority with that, but I, I do think it is, um, I, th- I do think it is a significant movie as far as a movie about America and the American dream, especially during this time. And it's a good look to see the difference back then. And now, like you said, Caitlin, in which there's, you know, it's uh, indicative of his time. This was the final credit for Hans Dreyer, Hans Dreyer, as an art director who is a three-time Academy Award winner. This was also the last film for Anne uh, Revere, who was actually blacklisted, uh, I believe, during the filming of this. Uh, that she played Georgia, she plays George's mother in this movie, and she was blacklisted because she was a part of the American, um, yeah, the American Communist Party. Which, if you guys aren't familiar with blacklisting, uh, just like the McCarthy era, when a lot of people were accused or actually part of the American Communist Party or any communist party, they were blacklisted from all positions, even uh, in entertainment. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor uh, is in this movie. And yeah, that, that's about it. It's just significant because she's in it. Actually, no, it is significant for Elizabeth Taylor in here because while she was a teen star, this is kind of her, one of her first films coming out as in, uh, as as an adult and kind of paving her career career forward in more dramatic uh, I don't know if she was doing more dramatic roles before, but this is just kind of like her her second phase, her second era, I guess. Which is a which I believe is a challenging era for a lot of people. Uh when it comes to child and teen stars and then when they when they turn into a into an adult and where they're gonna move where they're gonna move in their career. I think one of the ones that I know of right now is Jacob Tremblay, who is like as a kid was in everything and now he's doing a lot of voice acting. And also, he looks super different. I mean, you know, kids age and they transform. That happens. Yeah, that that happens. Uh, so I'm just I'm curious because he's an actor that I I enjoy. I think he's a, a phenomenal actor. But we were just talking about somebody, um, Jamie Bell. Like he was also a a teen. I believe he was a teen actor, a young actor, and mm-hmm. just kind of disappeared for a while. We're like, what the heck happened? And now we've seen him recently. We're like, man, he was really good. What happened to all those all those years before? Anything you have for significance as well? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit about the historical context, but also just was just a big film because it was post-World War II and it really was a, a film that talked about the struggles that people had in the workforce coming out of World War II. So that was really significant. See, for me, that I felt like that was one of the things where I thought the movie could have told me more. And I thought like that was just a quick mention. And like I, I got it, I understood it, but I just it didn't it didn't hit it home for me. But I think that's because we're watching it from a modern lens. I think that definitely would have been on everyone's mind of a time period. Yeah, yeah. So this was based on a real life trial of the People versus Gillette. If you don't know what this film is about or what that trial's about, don't look it up until um you've seen it because there will be spoilers about that but it is based on a real life story and the novel that this is based on is also based on that as well this is also significant because of the Hayes code so there is a moment in this film where alice goes and talks to a doctor and for for the Hayes code for the production code you couldn't talk about abortion in film you really could not talk about abortion in film so she kind of raised it it as she needs help she needs help. She needs options from this doctor. And watching this, you know what it's talking about. You know that it's talking about abortion, but he couldn't explicitly say it. 
man, they were they were tap dancing all around that. Just da 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 da. Help! Da 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 da. That's. I was like, man. I was like, really, guys? I was like, just just let him say it at this point. I know, but I I really appreciated that he still kept it in there because I do think that is a significant thing with his story. Oh yes, yes, and, and it's an option that would have been considered not to have it as an option to be considered would one hurt the story and also just make it a um disingenuine uh film, ingenuine mm-hmm. film, disingenuine. Yeah. Disingenuine. Okay. Yeah. But this film also skirts around sex as well. And I talked a little bit about the lighting. I alluded to it earlier with intimacy. But, you know, for the Hays Code, you couldn't show on-screen sex. But but he, he does. <laughs> he does. He just shrouds it all in darkness so that you can't see it. And uh, the thing with George Stevens is if you watch his film, The More of a Merrier, like he is not a director that shies away from sexuality and intimacy and i really appreciate him as a production code era director for that yeah i just i don't know if it's as explicit as you're saying though because when we when when we lose sight of them they're pretty far away from the bed and then but then you get like a couple name calls and you're like okay i know what's going on but I thought it was very explicit because you have this view of her bedroom so you're looking at where the camera is looking from inside the bedroom and he there's a radio playing and you're seeing them outside the window and he kind of makes this excuse to go into her bedroom by turning off the radio we know the bed is right there um and it's all shrouded in darkness but we can hear them start to get intimate and so it is definitely very explicit for its time okay i guess for its time again uh i will say that is one of the moments that would work against what i was saying with there not being a depth of this film. Uh, that, yeah, that's what I was like thinking. Like he really uses depth I, there. Yeah, there, there he does. Uh, I think that, and and that scene does work well. Even though he kind of, I don't know, a little forward inviting. Like I don't know. I just I wonder if anybody else has used that trick before. Oh, let me turn down your radio and walk into your house. Oh, now that I'm here. <laughs> but I, I just think it was very clever. And like I said, it's not his first film that he's done this cleverly with he like i said he's not a director that shies away from sexuality at all and he has to do it in a way that's smart because otherwise the production code's gonna shut him down so i i i have respect for it yeah no i have respect to anybody who looks at the Hayes code and decides to you know like say nah i you know i want you so to produce my movie so i'm gonna go all the way around it and i'm gonna be you know in respect to the creativity that some of these directors and writers have done to to get around it who would you recommend this movie to between general audience and the cinephiles? I definitely think it's more of a movie for cinephiles, a general audience, unless they're interested in that kind of historical time period. I would say they can go ahead and watch it, but I think it's a movie for cinephiles. I think this would have been a movie for general audience if, again, we were back in that time. I think this is like, I think now you can even see a relation like people would eat this movie up if it was remade. It would have to be like a little bit little bit spicier little little saucier yeah uh but i I think people would would still love it now uh and that's true i do agree with that actually yeah so i honestly i think this is i don't want to say it it should be remade but if it was to be remade and done well which i don't that's the part that i I don't want to say that this should be remade because i trust anyone yeah i feel like a studio would just hire somebody like hey make this uh make this sexy 
Yeah. Ooh, but I can I can I can imagine I mean, the I message boards now. I can imagine Twitter, X, whatever. I can imagine what they're talking about now. People back and forth on George. I told you that boy was no good. Ah, oh, don't how would you feel in that situation? When the shipping wars began between Alice and Angela. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Man, people love their love triangles. But yeah, I, th- I think right now for anybody, I'll recommend this to cinephiles who are, I, I think there's a lot of things to be interested uh, that, that will interest cinephiles, not just as being a classic movie, but you know, you have story, you have George Stevens as a director, you have uh, Clift and Taylor in this movie as well. There are some techniques that I didn't mention during Significance because I, I really, I couldn't find any additional information on it to say that this is one of the first movies to use the double exposure technique of fading in and fading out and showing overlay as in kind of going into one's mind but it is it is interesting to watch and and kind of see like the pioneer of it or one of the pioneer films of it mm-hmm. so now we're going to go ahead into the classified portion we're going to go on a little boating trip and talk about some spoilers anything you want to talk about without the before i put the spoilers up Nope, go ahead and put them up. All right. So if you have not seen this film and don't wish to be spoiled, stop here. Go ahead and watch the film. If you do want to continue forth, whether you've seen the film or you're one of those people that, you know, just don't care about spoil uh, spoilers, then continue on through. Now, let's talk about the major spoiler here. The one we, we, we've been we've been tap dancing around it more than they tap dance around the abortion, which is <laughs> murder. Dun, dun, dun. One thing about that scene that I wish how it played out because I forgot about it, but what I was thinking about the whole time was the leftovers and just that just that gentle push off the edge. That would have been brilliant in this movie. <laughs> like just all that, like just because I think Cliff does a great job of having having so much on his mind. And, you know, a, a lot of credit there again with with this movie technically and the performances, because this movie does a great job with showing, not telling. Like, there's no narration into mm-hmm. his mind. But, man, you, yeah. you really feel what's going through his head. It, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the great moments is when they're on the boat and you're like, man, what is this? You really don't know what he's going to do because he looks so conflicted. Yeah, I think that's another reason why another scene that I thought was memorable to me was that boat scene. And just because of that tension, there's a lot of good tension there because of his acting. But then, of course, when uh, Alice stands up on the boat, I'm like, you dumb, dumb girl. You know you can't swim. Why are you standing on this boat? <laughs> yeah, like, you just, like, no maternal instinct either. You know you have a baby in you, right? Yeah, and, like, the things, like, she's so needy. Like, she needs constant, like, reassurance. And she's constantly like, oh, I know you bet. I wish I was dead. I know that you're thinking of it now. I know that you hate me. I know that you do this. Like, why are you talking like this? Like, this she is not snapped. how a sane person talks. I mean, I know she's, I know she's pregnant. <laughs> I know pregnancy brain is a thing. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, this girl, please. <laughs> I need you to stand up. Not in a literal sense, <laughs> but in a metaphorical sense. Please stand up. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, actually, the whole boat thing, I kind of do get because she was angry. And look, I'm, I'm not. She was something. I, it is a stereotype, but I'm also going to say based on past evidence of what I've seen, uh, when some women get angry, safety goes out the window. I'm sorry. You know how many times I've heard of a woman grabbing a steering wheel? I had a case where a woman <gasps> grabbed the, uh, she grabbed the e-brake while they were driving. She just oh pulled that gosh. emergency brake up. 
And that's not the only story. I heard another one, but it was outside of work. And then I just watched the video. These This family was on a tour in a safari. They stopped while they were arguing. She got out the car, went oh around to the gosh. driver's side, opened the door and started arguing with them. And then on screen comes this tiger and just drags her away. Oh, my gosh. So I don't think she was angry, though. She was, it wasn't anger that was the emotion. I think she just... She was distraught. She was distraught. Like, her self-esteem was so low. So low. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I can't relate because I have a strong sense of self-preservation. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you just haven't been angry enough. Maybe uh, maybe one day yeah, I'll, I'll get on air <laughs> and I'll be like, hey, guys, I just want to let you know, Caitlin will not be joining us. Uh, her and her boyfriend had an argument and she was carried off by a pelican a swarm <laughs> of pelicans it was she was told to stay in the car <laughs> yes that's a, no it's not gonna happen i don't know i don't know but god uh so yeah i you know the the murder the murder happens and that's where i really like the the camera work on them and just that claustrophobic feeling and just like the pressure was always, always on them. And I think that's like yeah. probably be the worst thing. Like, you know, you've done something terrible and people were after you. Like, just that that feeling of the constant pressure. Yeah, especially since, too, we had all that build up to this idea. Like, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to kill her. And then it, it kind of switches thing around where he doesn't directly murder her. And it kind of is an interesting way that it approached that. Yeah, so it kind of makes you, the what I like about it, it makes it puts you in the same shoes as the jury because honestly you yeah. didn't see it either. So you have to make your decision based on, cause a, a lot of times with movies we saw it. So we know like what the true story is. So we're just wondering like, Hey, are they going to find out the true story or not? But no, with this, you're like, I don't know. I need to see some more evidence. And after hearing the I, evidence, I thought he was guilty. Yeah. I See, I don't, I don't think I saw it that way. I mean, Maybe not first degree, but some type of, I think that's third degree. Yeah, because he doesn't make an effort to save her. Yeah, which I believe is third degree. That's the real thing, which I guess it is still guilt. Is it guilty in the same way that they were prosecuting him for? No. No. And for the electric chair? No. Yeah, with the death penalty? No. (laughs) Though I'm already against the death penalty, so. But I, I think that one was a bit excessive. Though I'm surprised. I wonder if it was Hayes Code. But they never bring up the pregnancy. And I'm like, man, if I was a prosecutor and I want the jury on my side, I'll bring up the fact that she was pregnant. Oh, I, I didn't realize they didn't do that. In yeah, they the... never talk about it. I don't know if it's because. No, they did. Did they? They did because they brought in the doctor as a witness. Oh, yeah, because they were talking about. But no, they were talking about like how she wanted the abortion. But they were talking about how she, whatever issue she was having, it was with it was with George. But it wasn't because like they weren't proving the pregnancy. It was just proving their link together that it was it, George and her were together. Yeah, but they knew that she was pregnant because of the doctor, that doctor. Okay. Yeah. I, if I was a prosecutor, I would have pushed this some more. Like even I missed that on the second viewing. Uh, but again, that could have been, uh, you know, I can see the Hayes Coast saying, hey, we, we ain't talking about babies dying. Uh, that's true. That is true. But yeah, I just felt like. It was very extreme, the end of what happened, based on what they actually were trying to convict him of. And and even there's an even a, a kind of a speech from a person at the end that's just like, it's the same as if you had killed her. So you, you committed that murder in your heart. So it's exactly the same and you deserve to die. Like, it's not. 
the prosecutor, like there's no nuance here. The prosecutor got a little poetic at points. I think this movie does a good job with his courtroom <laughs> drama because there were like some things about objection and leading the witness that were going and stopped. And I kind of could see like the the goals of the prosecutor and the defendant. But then sometimes they got a little poetic. I was like, whoa, okay, hold yeah, on. Yeah, and also the one, um, the one prosecutor was like, you should have instinctively right off the bat reached for her and the child as soon as you were under. And I'm like, no, I, I don't think that someone would instinctively do that. I think instinctively I would try to come up for air myself and then I would wonder about the other person. So I don't think, I think that was a reach as well. Yeah, they, but again, it's 1951, so I don't, I mean, I can't speak so much about the the legal system and what the laws were and if how much intention, because that, that's a big thing, you know, when you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at charges, you know, when I would look at charges, there is, there is intent and then there's the actual action and what took place and how much that actually has an influence. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But it's just like I said, there was just no nuance and with the prosecutors and the jury, how they're coming out their decision. And it kind of irritated me a little bit. Yeah. Now, I that's the part of the film that I did like because that part just kind of enthralled me more. And then and the moments leading up to it. But like the beginning, I just I wasn't fully with the I wasn't fully with the love triangle and what it was trying to say about the American dream, because honestly, I can see people using this in a way that it wasn't intended. Just saying like, hey, this is how this is how the lower class are, because it's the the upper class here. Like they're just shown they're not really shown like to be snobby, but they do talk down about them and they don't expect much to happen. And then what happens at the end? Everything they thought for the most part became true. Yeah, I, I do kind of agree with that. It's not really an indictment of the upper class. Which I'm not saying we always need an indictment of the upper class. I mean, like, not everybody in the upper class is, you know, and not, I wouldn't even say most people in the upper class are all the people. So I, I'm good with a movie not saying, like, hey, the upper class is bad. I'm good with that. Sometimes, you know, that gets a little bit annoying when we always have to say that. But for this, you know, I just. Our, our rich people is bad cinematic universe with. The menu, Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. Uh, White Lotus. <laughs> Saltburn, is that one? Oh, uh, no. Okay. I would say Saltburn kind of shoots itself in the foot with its commentary on class. Gotcha. So, I mean, I'm good with stories like that. It's just for this one, I didn't really feel like he was reaching out for the American dream. Again, this one felt just like him having to choose between two women. This just felt like an affair story more than someone who is attempting to pursue something greater and becomes uh poisoned by it like again like i saw in the apartment yeah i don't agree with you because i think that like i think that the women like they are symbols and i think that's enough of a way to show that but i, I think also there are other things in the film that kind of go into it as well but oh, i think that it definitely is more of a you want what you don't have and and he doesn't really recognize his own privileges with things. I think I read an article that was interesting. It made an interesting point that to Alice, he was her dream. He was her American dream. And so it's all like relative, right? Like privilege and what you have is relative. And if you're always reaching for something more, then sometimes things don't go as planned. Yeah, I would just, I would have liked a, a bit more, more time on, on those themes. For me, for me, that that writing wasn't fully there. 
I, I definitely agree. They are symbols. Like, I took notice that they are symbols. I just didn't think they were strong symbols. Uh, anything else to talk about while the spoilers are up? No, I mean, that really is the the basic spoilers, is the murder and the trial is the really spoiler part of the film. Actually, no, there is one other thing. I do wish Angela and George got to have more of a conversation at the end. At the end, Angela just kind of speaks to him, uh, but he doesn't really get to explain or talk to her about his side of things and i think i kind of would have liked to see that a little bit yeah with her coming back i just it's like all right so like, i don't even think i really needed her to come back yeah or if 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 so like to have a more profound conversation like i said i i think that yeah i would have just like more conversation i did like her coming back because like i said i think that their chemistry and the way they bounce off each other is the highlight of the film for me but I just would have liked a little bit more to that conversation. Does this film hold up? I think we've, I think we've talked about that in, uh, in, in, in multiple ways. But what, what is your ultimate say? I think that you have to look at it from the lens it came out. But I think that the basic premise and the chemistry in it are things that are, are going to hold up. Um how it executes that premise, I think, is what is mostly you have to look at it from a historical lens. I d- yeah, I do believe as well you need a historical lens. I wish I'm trying to think of a modern movie that also talks about the American dream without without it being about crime, like a crime like syndicate, family, whatever. I feel like a lot of times, like a lot of the ones that I can think of are gangster films. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. I mean, I definitely think we see a lot of films from a class point of view mm. like you said saltburn kind of is like that even though i don't think it really does it well so Isn't it's less British? about the american dream and just about yeah i say it's less about the american dream and just i think there are a lot of movies that talk about like the differences between the classes and one lower class trying to to make it in the upper class and i think that's a very very common storyline yeah that makes yeah that makes sense and also i think just like a lot of things that were tied to the American dream are just are, are just regular things now, like financial struggles. Uh, we don't really have. I don't know. I'm trying to think about it some more. The American dream is definitely still hard to obtain. Um, I, I don't know if Minari is one, maybe. I think there's a lot of immigrant stories that are like that. That's the other thing, too. Uh, number one, A uh, Million Miles Away was a biopic I talked as well. Usually there's a lot... As far as immigrant stories. Yeah, honestly, this guy kind of had the American dream already from what it sounded like, at least like compared to others. Yeah, that's what I said. Like he definitely came from a more privileged privileged place than Alice did. Yeah, he, he had connections, had clothes on his back. You don't have a white t-shirt that white without, you know, without neglecting <laughs> to do some manual labor. That's true. But I think, so what, what I would say is this movie holds up but it was stronger during the period of which it was made and i think i think some of that that some of that is lost but i wouldn't say that it no longer holds up i think it still does mm-hmm. would you give this an uh overall rating um i think i would give this a b minus yeah i'll give this a, a b minus but a lot of what makes this great for me like i said is that chemistry maybe i'll go down to a c plus i'll go down to a c plus so I have a similar rating to you, Caitlin, though, for like different reasons. And actually, I thought you were going to rate this higher, especially I didn't think it was D, me not C territory. 
but I'm going to go, man, I am, I am torn between some things. Is C plus plus a thing or B minus minus? If I were to give us a star rated, I'd say three and a half. And that's kind of equals out to a C plus B minus to me. Not in math, but yeah, I see what Maybe you're saying. Not. Maybe no, three and a half is, I guess it's a, like, it's like above average. It's just not far above average, I guess. Yeah, I, I think this is above average. I'll agree with that. I'm going to give this, you know, I'm going to say what, what I feel confident. We're kind of working on two different scales here, and it is going to probably confuse some people with this one. But yeah. <laughs> I, I'm giving this a B minus. Uh, but I do think that you still like this film more than me. So I think we just kind of have two different scales going on. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. Because, I mean, I don't know. I, I do think we have different scales. Yeah, at least for this one. I, th- I think most of the time we're like, Got the same scale going on, same standards. I The reason I'm giving this a B- is, is because I think, like I said, technically and performance-wise, really good. I just think the story, the story doesn't hold up to that. I think the story is, I think it's missing a lot of pieces. I think a lot of its themes aren't uh, strongly supported. But man, especially after like reading about this and talking about it with how how well it does when it comes to the actors Clifton Taylor, uh, even um, Shelley Winters, who we, I don't even think we mentioned by name. Uh, she does good for a performance. I think is a little uh, outshone, but also, again, George Stevens with his directing and working within, I guess, kind of uh, golden Hollywood restraints, both of the Hayes Code and uh, the filmmaking at that time. I think he does well with what he has. But honestly, the only thing really bringing it down for me is that is that story. So I would have to give it a B minus just for like the for the the, for the things that I appreciated out of it. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I definitely recommend watching more of a merrier because I think that one's my current favorite George Stevens film. I'll be giant. You've only seen two. (laughs) You've only seen two, but hey. I've only seen two. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't get to share my recommendations. I want to oh be my heard. Gosh. <laughs> I've seen like four and a half, I guess. So our next episode, our next episode, we're gonna be talking about a little, a little something different. We're gonna leave classic Hollywood for a little abnormal Hollywood with David Lynch once again. This is one of David Lynch's. We have talked about him before. This is one of his. Uh, I don't know. I've heard so many things about this movie. And you may be able to guess what it is, or or not, actually. But I'll stop teasing. It is going to be Dune, David Lynch's Dune, which has actually become a cult classic. Uh, I know it's considered like one of the, you know, it's not one of the worst adaptions out there, but it is just one of those infamous adaptions. But it, it has been turned into a cult classic, and it is going to be timely since uh uh, Denise Villeneuve's Dune Part 2 will be coming out uh, shortly, which I'm definitely excited for. But I think... Uh, I think I'm less excited than you. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah I know you are. Which, I, I mean, I've been hearing great things uh, about it, yeah. better things than I did the last one. And I mm-hmm. I did like Dune Part 1. I just, when I, when I finished, when it, when it finished, I thought Dune Part 2 is going to be so much better, though, because it felt like he was holding back for Part 2, which I've seen directors do before where they get all like the world building kind of not the boring stuff but you know they they get all that other that setup out of part one yeah i think that was my issue with part one uh, is that it was a lot of setup so i am kind of curious to see how this one goes yeah so i'm glad to hear that you're also super excited 
<laughs> I want to go that far. And we'll also be um, having uh, a guest with us as well. Yep. And just to kind of bring that back around to our conversation. So we we have our interview coming up where we're going to be posted with George Stevens Jr. And George Stevens Jr. was uh, a founder of the American Film Institute. And something he did through that was create this uh, workshop for filmmakers to to help more advanced filmmakers with their craft through the Center for Advanced Film Studies. And David Lynch was involved in that. He was a fellow in that. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and definitely that's uh while it is it will be our next episode, not our next core episode, but we do have our first interview that we've ever done uh for or on this show. And it is gonna be a water cooler talk. So keep your eyes out. Don't have a set date at this time, but it should be within uh either like one to one to two days, unless something something goes wrong. Like swarm of pelicans. What is it, the swarm of pelicans? <laughs> Hey, man, it, the most it, random thing I've heard of my life. <laughs> Things you don't expect. She didn't expect a tiger. See, I would expect a tiger and not get carried off by a tiger. You know what I wouldn't expect? A swarm of pelicans. Brown pelicans are actually one of my favorite birds. Really? The irony. Uh, yeah. Brown pelicans and blue herons are my favorite birds. Because brown pelicans look like dinosaurs to me, and that's why they're my favorite. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they eat owls or something. No. Oh, no, that'd be terrifying. <laughs> we worse? The enemy of thy enemy? Well, maybe. <laughs> now, Caitlin, if they want to get in touch with us to let us know, you know, better ways that they handle their anger management by not getting out of a car in a in a safari, <laughs> uh, and they want to give us their opinion on on this movie, or, you know, they're interested to hear more about George Stevens, maybe anything we said outside the interview, kind of know, like, how the how the interview went behind the scenes where can they contact us you can find us on twitter and instagram at op silver screen on facebook we're at operation silver screen but twitter and instagram that's op silver screen if you also want to see what else we're watching throughout the week maybe take a look at some reviews on films we don't get a chance to talk about here you can also find us on our personal letterboxes brian's at swank seal that's capital s capital s and me i'm at coffee spoon kate that's coffee spoon c-a-i-t and while he's not a guest on this specific episode, we did do this episode in his honor. So I think it's only fitting that we tell you guys that uh, if you want to learn more about George Stevens Jr., he does have a memoir out called My Place in the Sun, uh, which we have read a bit, of, a bit of. I don't know, Caitlin, if you finished it. Yeah, I read the whole thing. Okay. It's very engaging and it goes through a wide uh, chunk of history. So it really does feel like you're learning a lot. So I definitely recommend it. Yeah, yeah. You're learning not just about him, but just the golden age of Hollywood and to modern cinema. Uh, I haven't finished the book. Yeah, no surprise. Hey, shut up. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, I've, what I've been reading of it, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going to finish it. Uh, it's a great book. And then also GeorgeStevensJr.com. GeorgeStevensJr.com is a site of his as well. So till next time, we'll be in HQ solving our own murders. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. See you.